The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmayne and BlackBerry. Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic is getting government ready for AI, which is artificial intelligence. And our guest for today's show is Doug McClough. And Chief Information Officer with City of Dublin, and Seth Weiner, who is Chief Information Officer, City of Never. So, Doug, how are you? I'm doing great, and I should clarify that's uh, Dublin, Ohio, just in case someone thinks that. <laughs> so, if we are not right. going to Ireland, then yes, yes, right. you're right. And uh, we have Seth as well. So, hey, Seth, how are you doing? Great. Good morning. Good morning to you. So we are talking about artificial intelligence here. And when you try to talk about something which is so far out there and in context of government, it could become a very interesting conversation. But it is not uh, to be ignored because at least in the private sector, artificial intelligence is showing promises. It is going mainstream. People are using it to understand how to serve and understand and serve the customer better. And frankly, for government, uh, you've got constituents and you've got citizens. You've got to serve them better, but is there a place for AI? So let's start uh, with the first question here. So I'll start with you, Seth. If you look in the context of government, do you think um, AI has a place today, the way, it's been, the way we envision government's function today? Yeah, certainly. I think that artificial intelligence is, uh, you know, if you think of it not in terms of the very coolest stuff that science fiction has provided us, but rather just software that's smart and maybe voice responsive, I think that that definitely has a place in government today. I'll give you one easy example is um, 311 call centers are kind of the norm for uh, cities that deal with lots of non-emergency problems or want to offload items from their 911 call centers. And I think that artificial intelligence has a really terrific, play, terrific role to play in that space in, the, in you know, parsing what exactly the ticket is that a particular resident might have and getting it to the right department quickly. I think that would really help um, you know, large cities, medium-sized cities, even small cities provide really relevant services to all the residents. So, so to that end, Doug, when you look at uh, you know Dublin, Ohio, and then let's take your city for an example, uh, you may have such three one one call centers, and if you put AI, yes, you might be able to shave a few pennies, or maybe a little more than pennies. But is this truly supposed to be an efficiency play? Uh, not necessarily, and uh, I will say that the city of Dublin does not have a three one one call center, but I have worked for cities that do. 
And I want to jump back on also what you mentioned about the way we think of government today. We should make the point that government is changing, and the organizations that you may envision in terms of a city hall and and a bureaucracy, a lot of that is changing. And what used to be the bureaucracy, you can picture papers moving across the desk, a lot of that has changed just as our citizens are now doing much of their business on smartphones. They expect to walk into Target or Walmart or um, call an Uber. or uh, Those expectations have moved into local government as well. So my take on an artificial intelligence is that we're looking for our machines to begin to do things that we cannot do as humans. We cannot process that much data. We cannot move that fast. And that's not something that uh, we're shaving pennies off. More so, it's an opportunity to take on new services that really are not feasible for us as humans. Uh, We need a machine that can be lightning fast, and that could be security. It could be analysis of crime statistics. It could be traffic management. Um, There are changes that we can make and be more automated that only a machine can do. And so I see this more as an expansion of services opportunity than just a cost control opportunity. So the way you explained, Doug, it looks like a back office, uh, not exactly an efficiency play, but a rethinking play, where the way that feeds the data to a police officer in the field or to a clerk in a town hall, you wanted to change that. And is that where it is going to be done? And would you think the citizens would notice or that's not, this is like a, what I call as a, a backstage heroes, so artificial intelligence becomes a backstage hero. Is that where you envision it's going to go? I think that's one opportunity, but I also think there's a front office opportunity. Uh, our citizens, uh, residents, expect to interact with an organization uh, with a lot more efficiency. And so there can be some front office uh, applications. We, we talked about 311. Um, people may not notice that they are interacting with an AI, uh, but I do think that Uh, Some people may, particularly if we tell them, we've got to do a better job at describing to our citizens, this is what's happening. This is the technology that you are benefiting from right now. And some of that may be front office and customer facing. So, Seth, when you look at, and based on Doug's response, uh, it looks like there are larger opportunities. So if I were to give you a white sheet of paper, okay, Seth, go ahead and draw the potential um, new government which could be enabled using AI. It may take time. It may be phased. But what would that look like? Um, I would think that it would involve a lot of different endpoints and kind of software modules feeding into a, you know, with various APIs on top of them, kind of feeding into a central repository of sorts and intelligent decision-making coming out of that repository. You know, so, so that's at the technical level. What's the, what will the world see? What will the, the experience be for the clerk who's at the town hall or, or to a constituent? I think ideally for residents, you're going to see faster, more relevant services and a more responsive government. That's the idea, right? People want respons- responsiveness. They want, you know, if your garbage isn't picked up, I don't just want it. You know, I want it picked up today. I want, I want if there's a problem, I'd like the problem to be addressed. You know, if there's, People are parking um, all over my, my sidewalk, and there's a problem. You're getting complaints about, 
you know, really difficult, narrow streets because people are parking inappropriately on both sides, then the broader, first you want to be responsive, you want to address the issue, but then there might be, artificial intelligence might help us determine, you know, those curves need to be repainted. Those curves haven't been repainted in a while, and we need to paint the yellow lines a little more uh, brightly so that folks are parking the proper distance from a stop sign, and if not, they're getting a ticket. You know, so I think those, the responsiveness of government, how government responds to its residents to do things correctly systematically is ultimately, I, I think, what everyone looks for in, in government. So, Doug, you know, uh, Seth has a point where, you know, some of the areas that we will touch, but all the examples perhaps uh, I got from both of you look like that we are uh, leaning towards using it to make whatever we have today a little more efficient and effective. Is there any disruption possibility? Because you're using something which has not been used before, and the, the curbs can be painted perhaps lower. The garbage is being picked up. My own garbage gets picked up every Friday or Saturday, and I haven't seen something really changing it. If so it suddenly starts getting more accurately or exactly at 7 a.m. in the morning, I really care less. So why would I spend money? Why would I get everybody all, all uh, riled up about this if there is not major difference? So is there a disruptive aspect in the government which it could bring, which is not happening today? Sure. And I think that disruption happens while we're not looking. And oftentimes we notice disruption after it's already been done. And I think that's going to happen a lot in government. And I also think that our citizens expect us to be constantly getting more efficient without them necessarily having to be aware of each new efficiency. And I also believe that some of the efficiency that, that we are experiencing can pay for the, uh, some of the improvements or the investments in AI. So I don't think that uh, citizens necessarily want to follow the numbers like that, uh, but I do think uh, we are changing the way we interact with our budgets and the way things are funded. I do want to tag on also to, and as an example to what he just said, a lot of these benefits, there are multiple benefits. So just as you can use an AI to help you with planning, we talked about the curbs or uh, do they need to be painted or do our, do our parking processes need to be adapted, you can also use them for the day-to-day operational things. So a camera can cover an entire block of parkers or drivers in a way that a human cannot. And when we begin using a camera to observe parking habits and those kinds of things, we spend less on those individuals who are walking the street, uh, taking down license numbers, or using an app to do those things. And now uh, a machine can do that. Well, when we do that, we also can use that data in a completely different back office way. So the benefits are multiple, and they're not, uh, it's not simple. And that's a disruption. But most people would not see it as a disruption because we, of the way we traditionally look at government. Would you, Seth, be able to point a pain area which could be effectively solved by AI and we have been? It is a chronic issue today. You know, it's difficult to make predictions, as uh, Yogi Berra said, especially about the future. Um, but I would say that some cities deal with different types of problems than others. And, you know, especially if you're talking about urban poverty, you're talking about um, garbage collection, abandoned properties, and land use, and how, you know, foreclosures affect cities like Newark or Detroit or other things. I would hope that 
is we get really, really good at the data. We get really creative with land use and, and management, and we can address more rapidly and turn through quicker um, properties from a position where they're not being used to their optimal economic value to a position where they are. You know, I don't think there's any shortage of residents who are always interested in looking at investing and buying and improving on, on property, but I think land use, especially in cities, is just very far behind where the, um, the Ubers of, of the world are, where you can you know, call the car over and you're good to go. Land use is, is just like really tied up in a lot of this red tape. So I would think that if you're looking for a seismic shift, moving around, um, allowing for the better use of land in cities would be a really seismic shift. So, uh, based on what you just said, uh, Seth, maybe the next step is to talk about the actual implications of AI besides, of course, you uh, adding value and not just you, Doug and Seth, both of you shared some input. So, let's take a quick break, listeners. Let's come back and let's talk about the implications, which is social, legal, and ethical implications of AI in the context of how government services uh, its citizens and keep them safe, and then um, what what is the dark side, if at all, that you see today if we start overusing it? And let's define the word overuse of AI. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So uh, the discussion here that was going on is related to what are the possibilities, how disruptive can AI be for the government. That's great. So now suppose we are saying, yes, we want to embrace it and there is value. We have to, before we charge ahead, 
or whatever we are doing today. We have to look at the social, legal, and ethical implications. So, uh, Doug, I'll start with you. And, and let's, let's kind of inventory the challenges which are very uh, obvious in these three areas, social, legal, and ethical. Sure. I, I think uh, this scares people. Uh, it, it, it just makes people nervous. And I think people have a mental image in their mind of a computer that's kind of humanized as opposed to an algorithm. Uh, and we're well beyond an algorithm here. But I think people imagine their local government, I'll just speak on local government, as really touching their lives. It's close to them. They, they share so much with their local government. And I think part of the ethical aspects here are we are the stewards of a significant amount of privacy. Uh, we touch people's lives very carefully. Uh, Seth mentioned land use, and we have a lot of data about people's homes and what they're paying for things. We may have a lot of health data. Uh, we have a significant amount of data. And I think... Uh, the value to the community is using that data. So they recognize that, but they also question how their data can remain private. Um, I think there are also aspects of um, people hold governments much more accountable than they do private corporations. Uh, they tend to forgive, in my opinion, corporate uh, activities uh, in the interest of the profits of that corporation because they know they're getting a service. I don't think that we have done that yet with uh, AI in a government setting and kind of selling the public on the concept that the benefits to them are tangible and uh, significant. You, you say a very interesting word, selling. And so, Seth, coming to you, you know, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. So instead of <laughs> us selling, what would... What, what do people want to buy as citizens? Have we polled them? What are the insights that we've garnered from there? Um, you know, unfortunately, it's a really good question. I don't have a terrific amount of, you know, data-driven insight into what residents are fundamentally looking for. I could, you know, you could, the easiest way to see, I think, what residents are looking for in some ways is probably to look at the candidates that their um, policies that they're voting for, you know, every four years or so. And I think that in inclusiveness and empowerment is one of the major things that um, is a, are, the two, are probably the two most important items in Newark, New Jersey under Mayor Ross Baraka. So, you know, how does that translate into, a, into the technology space? You know, we want technology that will empower residents to do better things with their day-to-day -day lives and with their long-term futures. And I think that that, we talked about land use a moment ago, but I think also just general services from the from the city, whether it's you know, health-related services or um, keeping the city beautiful and clean. Um, those, are, those are important things. So what do residents want? I think they want to be empowered in what they really want to be doing, right? No one really wants to spend their whole day at City Hall trying to get a, a bill resolved or um, get proof of a certificate of occupancy from the, from the permitting office. So if we can empower people to fix up their houses faster by you know, reducing the time it takes to get a permit and making it really easy, let them pay online, let them take care of it, be done with it. They can do what they want to do, which is, you know, expand that bedroom and plan for a family or rent out a property and make some extra cash, like that kind of stuff. So I think it's about empowerment and inclusiveness. So while you speak about that, do you see any specific social, legal, and ethical implications if the same work is being done and are being impacted 
by AI. And as per Doug, you don't want a machine, a humanized machine. At least you want to envision it while you're trying to plan for a family. That something like that is impacting you. I would think generally, like along Doug's point of privacy is probably the most interesting nexus to focus on because it can be policy driven. Um, I think generally the law is pretty far behind on some of this stuff. Um, just thinking about Open Public Records Act, for example, the you know the burden of producing things on paper and printing them out, and all these these types of things that were relevant, you know, 50 years ago when that was a government record. I think to Doug's point, you know, your water bill is public is public record, you know, and and permits that have been pulled on a property are public record. So. Um, Using artificial intelligence to make these processes faster while respecting people's privacy and efficiently knowing who they are, that's important. You know, like know your customer is sort of a, um, a known item in the finance world. And I think that government could do well to learn from that and say, you know, what are, what are the parameters we want to make sure that this is Seth and he's authorized to do this, this, and that. Um, and maybe do that once and have some sort of process, you know, use AI to make this more streamlined. Right now, if, if you're me and you go to the health department, you've got to prove who you are. Then you go to the zoning department, you've got to prove who you are. You go to the um, economic development for rent control purposes, you've got to prove who you are. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of proving who you are without any real strong continuity there. So I think software and artificial intelligence might have a role to play in that space. So let's dig deeper on the privacy side. So, Doug, what's the flavor of privacy which is causing concern when you bring AI into the mix? Yeah, and I'll give you an example here. And to your other question, kind of what are we selling and what do people really want? People, I, I think the good question to ask is, hey, government, why can't you do that? And, and consider what people's experiences are and even ours when we go home from work after we work in a local government. You know, you can speak into your phone and get a Yelp app and say, where's a good place for me to eat lunch? And it will give you a few results, and it will give you rankings, and it will say, this place is terrible because of this reason, and this place is great because of that reason. And it's not particularly fair. But that's okay, because society has accepted that these results may or may not be completely accurate, but I could make basic decisions about that. Okay, so hey, government, why can't you do that? We have a different burden. And if we put data out, um, it has to have the imprint of government. And our concern is trying to be as fast as the latest app or, or what um, uh, a private company might put out at the same time as being accurate enough that a person could risk um, their data being completely correct. And so we can't be just really good and we can't be really interesting and fast we have to be completely and totally accurate. And that's a burden that the public are not prepared to give up yet. So in the, some of the examples given in terms of a permit or an identity or a uh, dollar amount on a bill, um, these have to be completely accurate, and the records uh, shown from them have to be official. And that's a real challenge for us. People expect what they receive to be as fast and simple as Yelp or Uber but they also expect them to be imprinted and official so that they could show them to the police or show them to uh, uh, a bill collector showing up at their door. It is a record, uh, and that's a challenge. 
Now, uh, Seth, if I were to come to you and and say, okay, AI, you when you heard first, some since being technology, you might have heard it many, many years before a regular citizen would. But since it is evolving, right? So I would not say we cannot trust AI at all, but it is still long way to go. And government usually is not the first mover, and it shouldn't be because it has got the citizen's safety and its well-being at stake. So should you even go ahead with AI or a sliver of AI which looks like it's fully cooked? What's the approach? I mean, I think we're not talking about using AI to make you know, critical decisions that a human should be making, right? I mean, without discussing other, um, without discussing, you know, the military's approach to this at all, just looking at the civic space and the municipal space, I think there are things that we are not doing that AI would help us do faster and cheaper. So one example that Doug brought up that's relevant to us especially is cybersecurity. So if there's uh, AI tools that can better look for correlations and aberrations and what's going on on the internal network, that would be extremely cost-effective because a full-time analyst who's literally just looking through log files or um, other snippets of what's going on on the network, that you know, it's a very, very expensive salary and you know, the individual is only going to find so much. So it's a good example of something we're not doing right now that AI would help us address and we're sort of taking steps down that road as the software world starts to put out you know, meaningful products that will that'll fill that void. So I think we have a ways to go with a lot of low-hanging fruit before we get to um, you know, ethical decisions about whether or not the software is making the right decision. You know, even without, even without a 311 shop, just like help desk or stuff, right? So most of the phone calls I get to my team are, hey, my, my computer's not working or my, my email's not working or something like that. I mean, I think even if the AI world can improve on that basic customer service stuff without annoying people, right? I mean, I think that's kind of frustrating to me when I call up for a, a credit card or something and I'm stuck in their, uh, their AI... Um, phone tree for 15 minutes before I talk to someone. I think if the software can can meet the resident in the middle or the employee in the middle, that it's going to have a lot of uses before we get to uh, questions of morality. So, uh, Doug, in your world or from your perspective, um, where should government stand in terms of AI adoption? Should it just go and do those safe, quote-unquote, safe things and address those and then wait for something which is going to have a direct impact on a citizen's life? That's where we should draw a line, clear line? Well, in some senses, I think, yes. Uh, we do have certain burdens in government, but we don't have other burdens. And we in Dublin, Ohio, consider ourselves kind of forward-looking and want to be advanced and an early adopter. But yes, uh, government should do what is safe. And I think, uh, to Seth's point, um, we are being guided by AIs. We are not allowing it to make all of the decisions, but it can lead us towards a more efficient uh, use of our resources, and I think citizens really like that. Uh, I also think that public safety and crime prevention and crime analysis and, and predictive analysis is a really, really valuable use of some of this technology, and I think citizens love when you do that, and you can then direct your uh, police organizations toward a more efficient use of their time, that's safe. That's okay. We're not going to make arrests, or we're not going to uh, 
you know, pull people over just on the basis of AI. So I do think that in some senses we are freer in that we can innovate in ways that uh, simply guide us towards more efficient decision-making and watch the space and adopt things as that goes on. We can test and we can adopt new use cases and applications as the rest of the industry continues to advance. And so, so based on the responses that we discussed here or the areas we discussed, it looks like we are really not going to the citizens to ask their permission. We are essentially making policy decisions based on our you know, decades of experience dealing with the citizens to say what will allow people to stay safe and what they will not totally you know, cringe about. And let's do that. Is that a, a safer way of saying it to say, okay, we will still charge ahead. We will still move ahead, but we will not alienate the very citizen or very customer who we are serving, Doug. I, I think so. If I could comment on that, I, I, I believe that our citizens don't want to have to tell us and they don't want to have to be asked. Our citizens expect us to constantly get more efficient, constantly look for cost savings and constantly advance our technology while constantly keeping us safe uh, and, and, and not adopting anything that's going to break anything. So I, I do believe that a, uh, a constant interaction with citizens, informing them of some of the advancements we're doing is necessary, but we're not necessarily asking permission or asking them to direct us. We should know that much. And I think you'll find when you talk to local government uh, constituents, they will tell you, what are you even asking me for? Of course you should be doing that. That's just my uh, perspective. And Let's I would add to that, that, you know, we're asking citizens every four years. You know, we're asking voters every four years, are we on the right track or wrong track? In some cases, you know, depending on the voting schedule, if you're a council member or mayor or, you know, alderman or whatever the form of government is, we're asking residents all the time. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, let's talk about, if at all, we have to make a business case because money doesn't come easy. And still, it's a new technology, and it's not just the technology where investment will have to be made. We'll have to shift something, some processes, some human labor, and, of course, some funds. How do we go about it, and what are the challenges related to it? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. 
Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Um, so, uh, Seth, always have to make a business case and there are human lives attached you got funds and many other things what what is the approach that we are to take in making a business case for something like this yes there would be small efficiency related benefits but still we are spending money on something we haven't spent earlier and money is a scarce resource on the security front for example we were talking about earlier in the show that's not a it's not you know it's a very cost-effective to say, you know, here's a piece of AI that's going to help the city be safer, rather than here's a full-time analyst or a full-time or a 24 by 7 contract of some sort for remediation plans and that kind of thing. And and so so Doug, what about the very fact that on one hand we are introducing this uh, AI as a resource, which is going to help reduce the amount of effort or maybe get things done faster. So that looks like a great business case. But there is also a very active pushback because it may replace humans. Yeah, and I think there's a, a common belief out there that, you know, most people believe fewer humans in government is a good thing. I, I shouldn't say most people, but uh, people don't cry for us. Um I will say, and I'll give the example that has been given about uh, automation, and AI is not automation, but it, this example has been talked about in terms of automated teller machines and banking and how that was going to get rid of all the people and branches and everything would be through a machine. And, and what we found is that banks are opening more branches and they have changed their services away from counting money and handing it over to more uh, direct personal connections. And in my dream of dreams, I would see a future in which people could interact with their government on a much more personal level. And we asked people, instead of pushing papers around and making copies of things and requiring and stamping things, uh, to be more engaged in pushing out towards the community, uh, learning uh, what's happening with people, describing and explaining things, and having a more personal touch. So... I am not convinced, although I am a pessimist and I think that we have a lot to worry about, I am not convinced that adding AI to some of the things that we're struggling with as humans, such as analyzing security patterns, is going to necessarily uh, reduce the amount of people that are applied to the kinds of services that people really want their government to do. It is a change and a disruption, and the work may be very different, but not necessarily less. So, interestingly, when you look from a, a taxpayer standpoint, they'd love you for your response. But someone who is within the organization, government organization, who is tasked with something, and tomorrow you say that, okay, I have been able to optimize this effort, 
and thus it has been taken off your plate and we keep incrementally taking it off their plate to a point where um, you know they are no longer needed then they might see the whole progression differently right so totally agree and I'll, I'll i'll just give the example of that security analyst that whose job we just got rid of in this conversation you know and said a machine can analyze things faster and better um that is not a trivial issue and i think that's the challenge deploying ai is not that difficult it really it manifests on a machine you it, it operates on a server or in the cloud and over a wire um deploying it within an organization is where the real challenge is so Seth, let's talk about the readiness check. Um, do you think any the government is just slapping this on as a tool or this could become the fabric? Like technology earlier was, of course, we are using it for certain point problem solutions. Similarly, AI could actually be brought in almost every aspect of government functioning. So before you lay a fabric, you have to look at the foundation. What are we looking at today so we know we are best suited and are best ready for AI? I think it depends really heavily on, you know, where the market ends up going. So the private sector stuff that I've seen on AI is mostly around voice recognition, right? That's the stuff that's now in my living room with uh, Alexa and it's probably in, you know, many, many, many other homes on every cell phone with Siri and all that. So just like first touch point customer service seems to be where most of that innovation and most of those research dollars are going today. Um, I think that Ideally, as some of the higher-end kind of analytics, like the types of things that Palantir would offer um, to do fraud detection or to do those types of analyses, can also be scaled down to the municipal level. But I think that what municipalities are going to have on their plate, or what you know, even states for that matter, is going to be mostly dependent on where the private sector is going to be driving this type of um, this type of uh, technology. You know, so I'd like there to be artificial intelligence around problem-solving for IT problems, where, like, there's a, a desktop person that if anyone can't get on the Internet for whatever reason, they, they click on this desktop icon and they have a conversation about what's going on. We analyze the computer or their proxy settings like this. Is their cable unplugged? Have they, they log in correctly? All that stuff. But I just don't, I haven't seen yet that the private sector has really moved in that direction to make that type of thing cost-effective. So you have to adopt only what's really cost-effective. We're not going to spend millions of dollars to put in, um, you know, crazy um, might work kind of systems. So so w w one thing is, of course, you're saying where, uh, as compared to others, well, where we will get and eventually over time we will, we will be at the right level of adoption and, and the way we use AI. That's great. Now, before you even get going and build a foundation, what, what would we be doing to check to see whether our government, the processes and other things are at a point where we can start inviting AI, not just superficially, but actually embedding it in the DNA? I think that's a valuable question, mostly because in the software world where I'm using you know, even non-AI type solutions for things, the number one problem that I run into when looking at a process is that it's not a determinate process. It's not like a one, two, three, four, five, there it is. There's like a whole bunch of confusion and humans involved in the process that kind of typically make it effective for the applicant, but it's really difficult to model. I don't think AI is going to be all that effective unless we as, you know, governments have like perfect processes in place on whatever it is, whether it's applying for a new business or 
a road opening permit or something like that, we're only going to be able to use technology to improve the process if the process is really strong and tested and, you know, like binary. Like there's, it either is working or it's not working, not. Well, I talked to Janice and Janice got me that stamp real fast because Janice is on it, not, you know, not because there's a clear delineation between, oh, this is, uh, this permit is needed soon because the construction schedule, okay, here's an expedited payment, okay, bam, it's done. So I think for, to get ready, we have to just get our own houses in order. I think that's the most important thing. So, uh, Doug, in your world, uh, the way you see the internal processes today, and yeah, Seth mentioned that we have to perfect the processes, but there's nothing like perfection, right? We just progress, make progress towards it. What, what all would you put in place and even before that, if you have a checklist to say, okay, do I have this, 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 and this, and then I will go ahead and invite AI. And do we wait for that perfection before we start inviting, or we do both in tandem? I think we do both in tandem, and I would say, and I don't have a checklist. I don't think we as an industry and government do, but I think the closest thing to it is uh, the developmental steps towards AI. And I think one of the big ones is automation, which we said is not AI, but, and then data analytics. These are things you do before you have AI. Do you have your data in order? Do you have your decision-making? Are you even able to do that without a machine doing it? Uh, can we automate? And then an AI can move very swiftly across a lot of different business units. I've often said that a city is a small state. It has all of the agencies and departments just in one organization. And I think that we will less adopt and bring in this AI, then we will find it in our organizations. It will, it will creep in. It is creeping in. We will trip over it and find that it's already there. And an example that I'll give is that many of the systems that our departments use, whether it be in tax or finance or police or fleet management or parks and recreation, they're already using systems uh, on a kind of operational level. And those systems are being updated with AI in the cloud. Uh, it's not necessarily a decision that a CIO of a city has made. It's just an operational improvement somewhere off-site. And I think we'll find that that will continue, and we will have to deal with the AI that's already in our environment more so than internal city operations uh, at an administration level. I see that as probably the last thing to go. And, you know, that's just my perspective. I just don't think we're going to make a decision, come up with a waterfall project plan to implement AI in our cities. We are going to work on automation and data analytics and open data, and AI is going to find itself there in a much more easy way because we prepared the steps. So as a taxpayer, I personally would not like any leakage in the sense, people making decisions, adopting policies, yes, to my best interest, but not maybe in the most effective or efficient manner. So if we naturally allow AI to creep in, and which it is today, and get slapped on a not as efficient or not as conducive process where it will create the most value, well, nobody's going to come and fire someone, but it is still leakage. So in, in all honesty... When people are within the organization or as a citizen sitting outside and watching, I would like to have it to go through a critical path versus somehow getting there. 
So if we were to take a solemn vow to say, okay, all citizens and all officials of uh, government are going to invite AI, but we'll do it in the most effective manner so there is minimized or eliminated leakage, what would that look like? If we, nobody's, nobody's been asked today that what did you do, is there a leakage or not? But if we take it in a cavalier fashion, then AI might, might, might you know, cause leakage or we might be uh, losing taxpayer dollars or may not be using in the best way possible. So what would that look like? What that tight approach look like? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and discuss. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, so, Doug, your response was regarding uh, bringing... Uh, AI in as uh, in a natural fashion, like any other technology, and uh, my challenge was to to not do it, so that we do not create leakage or we uh, encourage leakage. So, what could we be doing in such a yeah. manner that, that the leakage is minimized or eliminated? Yeah, and I think maybe my description of how AI and other technologies may enter our environment as sort of just happening without our control may have seemed a bit cavalier, and maybe it is, uh, and that can be very scary with something like a, an AI. So I would say that I think there's a number of hot-button uh, areas of people's lives that they are really interested in what technologies are planned to be used and how, and I think we need to focus on communicating around there. But generally, we should probably create um, some forms of communication in which we can interact with members of the public, as you say, taxpayers, who are going to want to know, how does technology get into my city? 
How do you adopt it? And these are processes that uh, a lot of people have not really concerned themselves with in the past. And I think uh, because of the advancement of technologies and people's sophistication around them, they're going to want to know. We've had a lot of attention around open data, uh, but most people don't really understand that technology. They just want to see the data. Um, so I think we can answer that by exposing to people how are we going to make decisions about what comes in. And I would just draw a distinction between, as I was describing, a fleet management application or a parks and recreation application that may begin doing uh, AI versus the core identity uh, uh, service decisions that we make as a city around a table. Uh, and I think that we can do that, and I should be careful about how I communicate about it. So, uh, Seth, when you look at the most optimal way of bringing AI in, would you have taken a critical path approach where you would have cleaned up the shop and then brought in? Is that possibility, or is it just, you know, pie in the sky? Well, I, I think that that's... Um it's an opportunity, right? It's 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 yeah. it's you are at a inflection point, and everything's an opportunity, though, right? So the idea that AI poses particularly more of a challenge, or we're under greater pressure to do it perfect than uh, other systems that might go in place, like you know, uh, cell phone networks, or radio networks, or even upgrading to Windows 10 or whatever it is. You know, these are all things that technologists in the public sector have to just look at and decide how they want to approach it. I think that generally when we assume that our processes are perfect as they are and that the software somehow is going to make it um, incorrect, I think that's uh, that's to me is a little more pie in the sky, right? The idea that any one thing that we're doing is absolutely perfect and, and we, we really can't improve on it, I think is probably where we're lying to ourselves a little more than um, the AI side of it. So the the important thing is to think about how technology can be deployed to impact in a cost-effective way residents and, you know, like I said, empower them to do what they want to do. So if it's going to help them get a permit, zoning is a, is a good example here, too. Residents want to do things. They don't know if they're zoned appropriately to do it, okay? If we had a, a piece of artificial intelligence that would, you know, well, how many bedrooms is it, and do you have this proof of documentation, and do you have that, and... How long have you been living there? Are you the owner? Okay, well, then you can do this. You can do, you're allowed to do, uh, you're allowed to rent out one room, but you can't rent out two. If that could be done through artificial intelligence and with some level of accuracy commensurate and equal to what a person could do, I think, you know, humbly, I don't think any process that we're doing is all that absolutely perfect and flawless. So I don't think the software is necessarily, if it's good, you know, and you can prove this, I don't think the software is going to, cause anything worse per se to happen the question is how are you deploying it and are you focusing on those pain points i wouldn't worry so you're calling so would you say that you're talking or you're calling ai essentially a tool an aid yeah it's the same thing as like i'm talking to you over a voice over ip phone right so when we when you change over we're focused a lot you know sadly we still have a whole bunch of phones in the city at different locations that are copper and when we change over from copper phones to voice over ip phones the voice over ip phones are a tool and the question is, like, to what extent is it going to address the needs of the employee and how is it going to save costs and is it, is it relevant? And inevitably there's hiccups. Inevitably it's, oh, my gosh, I, I have to dial 9-1. I didn't have to, I didn't used to have to do that. But the cost savings are really tremendous. So the same is true with software and AI, that if you're going to use it to, to find policing hotspots, right, that you want to be able to do it in a way that can identify those hotspots rapidly. Maybe you save money on analysts. Analysts can focus on other stuff. 
They can focus on other components of the investigation aside from just identifying the corners. You know, they're not just looking at um, 30 days worth of data. They can look at six years worth of data. They can look at abandoned property history as it relates to that hotspot. So, yeah, I think AI is a strong tool in the quiver for how we're going to make government more effective. So, uh, Doug, do you see or foresee uh, the processes and policies to be altered where not just the AI portion of it, but then also the humans, the robots, the algorithms, and and other things are going to coexist because AI is actually kind of the backbone for all of this? Well, I kind of totally agree with Seth on this, and I guess that's the point I was trying to make in terms of incremental change. Uh, across 10 years, we're going to see major policy change, but I, I don't know that we'll see that in one year or in two years. And I don't know that using a different tool set is necessarily going to require a different policy change, but it probably requires a different culture and a different uh, training. Uh, our people will use tools differently and interact differently, and that's going to require us to work differently together. But and I'll agree with Seth again. Our policies are not so rigid and perfect and, uh, and uh, well done that they are not flexible enough to adopt some new ways of looking at the world. And that's what we're talking about here. AI itself, if you just looked at it as a black box, it's better. It's going to be more efficient. It is scary, but it's not going to come all at once. And even the data that we're putting into it and the tasks we're asking it to do are incremental. I don't think anyone is is turning over an entire police department or its analytics to this. I think we are we are beginning to use it more and more as a tool, and our policies will change incrementally. And I'll, I'll draw a uh, an example of this. We're thinking a lot about connected vehicles and autonomous vehicles, and that is also going to require a lot of law changes and policy changes. But we're years away from that, and and we can make the changes incrementally. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Doug and uh, Seth, for sharing your views on how government can leverage AI, which is artificial intelligence, to move forward its agenda to provide a progressive and secure environment to its citizens and constituents. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for uh, CTN, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn community. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 